You all get to sit down, so I get to sit down. <laughs> Plus, I'm old. Oh, being a senior citizen gets you discounts at Culver's, and <laughs> you get to sit down when you when you talk. Good to see you. Um, this is my last Sunday. Laura will be back next Sunday. Um, looking forward to being home. Uh, so we're finishing off the letter to the Colossians. And uh, you'll notice there was a chunk left out when Andrea read, you know, she had to skip from one to the other. Did you read what was in that chunk? <laughs> Wives, you do what your husbands tell you to do. <laughs> slave owners, be good to your slaves. We didn't preach on that, but we, we can't just gloss over that. We've got to talk about that for a minute. So like to close the book of Colossians, Colossians, that's what you wear when it's raining, Colossians. Uh, to, to, yeah. I'm, da I'm dating myself. They don't call them Colossians anymore. Um, anyway, to close it off, let's, let's just do a little recap and a little, uh, let's just get real, okay? Uh, some of the stuff Paul says is hard to swallow. It really is. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Laura uh, preached on a passage where it talked about the wrath of God, this angry God. And then this passage that Andrea left out, thank you, uh, was wives submit to your husbands. How's that float? And uh, then, then it goes on and says, and, and slave owners be good to your slaves. So you read stuff like that and you think, do we really want to listen to this guy? I mean, what's he talking about here, you know? And um, he was just living in his context. He was living in his day. And he was just dealing with what he knew to deal with. So, yeah, it was a patriarchal culture. Men ruled women. You know, it's, it's closer to the caveman than we are. So men were bigger bodied and carried a bigger club. So they said, you do what I say, oh, good. And, and you know, it, it didn't matter if she was 10 times smarter. He just held a bigger club. So there's this thing of male domination that's, Thankfully, we don't live in that so much anymore. We do some, but it's not fair, not right. And then the whole idea of slavery, you know, but that was just their context. That's where he lived. That's what it was every day. And I have to ask myself, um, 50, 7,500 years from now, when they look back on us, what are they going to say about us? Like, I can't believe that they just accepted that as normal. You know, things kind of change. Robbie and I like to watch uh, British detective shows. We're watching this one that's set in the, the 60s and early 70s. And is there, not everybody knows this, but do you, you know what it means to shoot skeet, go out with a shotgun and shoot clay targets, you know? They, they do that in a, in a coat and tie. Yeah. Yeah, there was this episode, and they're out shooting skeet in, in a coat and tie. And it's like, okay. But nobody questioned that. And you look at our own culture, and you know, so many years ago, some of y'all don't remember this, some of us, well, if you do remember it, no, you're probably dead if you remember that. And you wouldn't be here if you're dead. <laughs> so I'm doing the math real quick. Um, but not too many years ago, we didn't let women vote. And it was our normal context. You know, we didn't. So you, you gotta take Paul and, and realize that when it comes to grace, when it comes to exploring grace he was doing it in his what does grace look like in this context and we're doing the same thing today and they'll do it 100 years from now and it, it'll be it'll look different than us 
looking at it. So I think we need to, uh, a lot of what you read in scripture, it makes more sense when you realize they're operating in their context. They're operating in the world that was normal to them that looks very abnormal to us. So I think that helps us some. And the other thing I want to say, just in, in kind of opening this up today, is that uh, kind of an overview of this letter that, Raul, uh, that Paul wrote to the Galatians, um, there's a balance. There's a really cool balance in this, in this letter of uh, personal piety, and we'll talk about that in just a second, and then what you might call social justice. And there, there are a lot of... There's a lot of uh, mud throwing today between denominations and churches about, oh, y'all are just about social justice. And, and then some would say, well, all y'all are about is just keeping your nose clean so you can go to heaven. You know, personal piety, keep yourself, behave well, and, and so when you die, you'll go to heaven. And you don't care about anybody else. You just care about your own self. Or you got this group over here, well, all you care about is social issues. You know, you don't care about your own personal walk with God. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And in the book of Galatians, Colossians, um, I'm gonna mess up all day. In, in the book, Paul combines these two. In a, in a, um, do you know what it means to dovetail? That's an old carpentry thing where you don't uh, screw it or nail it. You, you literally cut your wood in such a way that it doves. Brian knows all about that. It, it dovetails together, it makes a really nice, they do that in drawers, you know, that you, you dress your drawers. So he dovetails. Personal piety with social justice. He puts it together. And, it, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's where we need to live. He invites us to live into that. Um, I know I've dealt with, with believers before that just, they don't care about anybody else but their own personal destiny. That's all I care about. I really don't care about you. I just want to make sure I get to heaven. It's, really? So anyway, that helps. So the, the passage begins, I'm looking at it up here, you're looking at it up here. The passage begins with him talking about uh, prayer. And, and he uses two words here to, to bring us into this. And he says, be watchful and be grateful. And I don't know if you remember from last week, if you were here, that I talked quite a bit about what I used to believe, where I used to be, and, and where I am now. I used to live in legalism and, and rule-based religion. Now I live exploring grace. What's, what are the possibilities of grace? And uh, I broke with that and went with this. This is where I want to live. But in the old days, back in my legalistic days, when I would read a passage like this, be watchful, be grateful, is very heavy, very scary. Watch your step. Don't you mess up. You, you got your walk has to be squeaky clean, has to be perfect, has to be because you're being watched. It's like God was Santa Claus keeping a list, you know, and and He's policing your every step. You got to watch what you do and then be grateful, not spontaneously, but be grateful because that's what you owe Him for just letting you live. You owe Him gratitude, and so it, there was this heavy, anxious feeling about watchfully, gratefully praying. Now I look at it and I say, wow, I'm all ears and all eyes. I'm watching for what God is doing. God is up to something. He's up to something here at Greenwood. He's up to something in a lot of the people I know. He's up to something in their lives. I'm watching. I want to see what he's doing. And when I see it, it blows me away. And so gratitude is not a duty. It's just 
how else can you feel? I mean, this is cool. I'm excited about what God's doing. So watchful gratitude is a response, not a duty, not a job we're supposed to do. And then he goes on and he talks about praying for each other. And here again, I go to the old me and, and the new me. The old me, I'm so embarrassed when I say this. At first service, I was embarrassed. The old me, when I would pray for somebody else, I literally would tell God how to do his job. If you want to be a good God, you need to do it like this. You need to fix them this way. You need to teach them this lesson. You need to give them this promotion. You need to help them find this thing. And I would just literally say, God, this is what you, and I would tell him how to, to deal with that person. And he would say, oh, thank you. I was just puzzled until you told me, you know. I mean, you, yeah, it should be laughable. But that's how, that's how, it, it's, that's how we pray sometimes. We try to tell God how to do his job. And, and instead, we watch for what God is doing in that person. Pa Pastor Wayne said this over and over and over. You watch to see what God is doing in that person's life. And then if you can, you participate in it. You're watchful. You're, you're all ears. You're, you're all eyes. You're just seeing what is God doing here. And if nothing else, you just sit by and you say, God, I'm all in with that. Even if I'm not involved, I'm all in with that. I'm on your side against darkness, against deceit, against manipulation, against hatred. I'm all in with this. And so I'm taking my stand here with you on behalf of that person. But I'm not telling you how to do it because I don't know. You know. And I'm going to watch and cheer you on as you do your thing. And if you want me to participate, you'll let me know. God will let us know if he needs some help. And sometimes he loves to partner with us. You know, he can do it all by himself. He'd prove that at creation. But the rest of the story, he's always linked arms with other people and said, here, let's do this together. So, you know, when you pray, he might stick out his arm and say, let's do this together. So he starts out talking about prayer and he talks about praying, you know, with, with uh, watchfulness and gratitude. And then he talks about praying for each other. And then he starts talking about newcomers or new people or you know, um, you know, could be newcomers at church, could be somebody moved in next door to you at, in your neighborhood, could be somebody who moved in the next cubby at work, who knows, you know, but new people are always coming into our lives. We have our posse, we have the people we trust, we have the people we bear our soul with, you know, and we hang out with and eat burgers with and that kind of thing. And then you have uh, new people who come in constantly. I mean, it's just, just the way life is. You've got new people. And so it's interesting that he talks about new people and, and immediately uh, uses the word, take every opportunity, be opportunistic with new people. And there again, okay, we're going to go old and new, okay? There again, in the old view, I saw, oh, this is his instruction on, the old word was evangelism. This is how you win people to Jesus. You, you be opportunistic. You'd look at for every chance you can to give them a track, or to give them the four spiritual laws, or you know what I'm saying. I've been there, did that, embarrassed to admit it, but I was. Uh, knock on doors, you know, you want to talk about Jesus. Well, no, I was eating a chicken sandwich right now. But, you know, whatever. Um, but, but, but the idea of being opportunistic was like, like a salesman, you know, I'm, I'm, you don't dare walk on my lot because if you do, I'm going to run out there and try to sell you one. 
And, and it was is this whole idea of this urgency. And, and there was a heaviness to it because, you know, we were taught, I mean, I was taught, even in school I was taught, this. we're not talking about them buying a car or buying a loaf of bread. We're talking about their eternal destiny, you know. They're hanging between heaven and hell, and you've got to tell them just the right thing and save them. And whoo, it's all on you. Got to do it. Really? I mean, stop and think about that. Stop and think about Really? But that was the world I lived in. Had a guy named Joe English. You'll never meet him, so I'd use his name in Lexington, Kentucky. He'd say, hey, you want to go talk about, you want to go knock on doors and tell people about Jesus today? And we would just pick out random neighborhoods and walk down the street. And we were so sincere and so well-meaning, but I think, did we really do that? We didn't even know these people. There was no bridge built. There was no relationship. There was no, you know. So to be opportunistic today is to say, I want to take every opportunity I have to listen to you, to know you, to hear your story. And he even goes on and, and kind of gives us a how-to. Like if we want to relate to people and relate to, to new people and people who we are kind of peripheral in our little circle of friends, he gives us a, a how-to. And you're, you're waiting for this strategy. Okay, it's point one, two, and three, right? He just he uses this, this real fuzzy, open-ended, vague, messy word. He says, be gracious. What does that look like? You know, what does it look like to be gracious? And, and when I got to this place in my thinking, in my study, I, I, I went back. I always go back to John. I'm sorry. I love the Gospel of John. But if, you, if you'll read in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus has this conversation with a highfalutin religious guy named Nicodemus. He comes after hours because he doesn't want to be seen. Well, that's what everybody says. I don't know if it's true. But anyway, he comes after hours, and he wants to talk theology with Jesus. He wants to talk doctrine and, you know, big highfalutin uh, scholarly things. And I don't know if he wore his Pharisee uniform or not. I don't know. But anyway, they're having this talk. And just a little while later, Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that? She's a woman who'd had several relationships, like a number of failed relationships. Uh, rumor has it that she came to the well at a, an odd time of day so she wouldn't have to bump into other locals. Don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, he finds himself out with her. Two completely different people from different perspectives, different walks of life, different social standings, everything. Completely different people. But if you read those two stories and you set them up together, you see that Jesus treated both with the same empathy, with the same intensity, with the same compassion. He listened to them. He heard their stories. His methodology was grace. You know, it's not a sales pitch. It was grace. And so I think when we, when we deal with new people, we, we bump into them wherever it is. It doesn't matter wherever it is. We're not so much, what can I tell them? It's like, can you tell me your story? I want to hear your backstory. I want to hear where you came from. I How's your day going? How are your kids? How's your job going? You know, they just moved in. How do you like this new neighborhood? How do you like your new job? Whatever. And so you're all ears listening to them. So how can you show empathy to somebody if you don't know them? You know what I'm saying? How can you relate to somebody if you don't know them? And how are you going to know them unless you ask them to tell you their story? 
My dad used to uh, tell me all the time, he says, son, you've got two of these and one of these, do the math. It said over and over, do the math. So we listen, we listen, we listen to their stories and then we can empathize and then we can care for them. So he, he talks about praying and then he talks about how to deal with newcomers and then he gets to this place where um, and it's so funny that Andrea said, I feel like I'm talking at the end of an ad. You know how they talk real fast? But that's what he's doing, you know? He's trying to get all these things in at the last of the letter that, that he left out in the letter. He's, you know, he's, he says, uh, he says well, when you're done with the letter, pass it on to that church and then make sure you read their reply to it and then really encourage the guy whose name rhymes with hippopotamus. I can't say his name. I don't, it's a weird name. They all end with S, us, us, you know, hippopotamus. And then he says, uh, I'm signing off in my own handwriting. You know, the rest of it's real nice and neat. I'm sloppy here. And, and then he said, and don't forget I'm in jail. So he gives all these little details at the end of the, of the letter. And we, and we look at that and we think, what's, what's with that? But, you know, um, a lot of the most important little things we say are always when we're trying to say goodbye you know, at the end of our conversation. Um, I told in the first service, um, the other day I was mowing my yard. I push my yard off, but it's a self-propelled, so I just walk. It's not like I push it because we've got a large yard. And so I'm mowing my side yard, which is long, big, long swipes, and you go toward the street, turn away from the street. So our neighbor across the street has a couple little kids, and she's uh, one of the little boys goes to ELC. So... Um, she had a friend in who brought their child and they're having some sort of play date and you could hear them out there playing before I started to mower. But anyway, when I started mowing the side yard, it was time for the friend to leave. And so I made one run down, long run toward the street and they're standing at the car talking. So I went, came back, made another run. They're still standing at the car talking. So I made another run. I finished the whole side yard and they were still talking at the car. And I thought that's how goodbyes go. Some of the things that you forgot to say or wanted to say or meant to say during the long visit, wait till the last minute when you're getting ready to go. And sometimes they're minutiae, you know, sometimes they're trivial, sometimes they're little details and you're thinking, you know, maybe this is important, but it's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. Oh, I wanted, I meant to, you know, and you're mentioning these things. And, and so when Paul says this stuff at the end of his letter, you're like, really? A guy whose name rhymes with hippopotamus and is supposed to be important to us? You know? But I got to thinking about a typical relationship where the wife comes home after two or three hours from shopping and she sits there and she says, you know, honey, I stood there for 15 minutes and I couldn't choose between the green one or the brown one. I just couldn't choose and he's saying not out loud but he's saying they're both earth tones I mean they'd both go what's the big deal but if he's a good husband mind you guys if he's a good husband if the choice between green and brown is important to her then it's important to him not because he cares whether it's green or brown, but because, because he cares that it matters to her. Take that and flip-flop it around. So he's been out 
banging and crashing in the garage for like 45 minutes. He comes in, his hands are bloody, he's sweaty. You can tell he's perturbed, he's upset. And she's like, what's wrong? He said, got a rusty bolt and I can't get out of the mower. I've tried, you know, uh, penetrating oil. I've tried a bigger wrench. I've tried a bigger hammer. I can't get it out, you know, and I still can't figure out how to get it. I got to mow the lawn, you know, and she's, you, men talk louder when they get mad, you know, the green and the brown, that was like, I couldn't, you, it won't come out. So, you know, he's, he's yelling, screaming about, can't get the bolt out. There again, she's like, and she could probably say this and he would just like, Ugh. but she'd say, I don't really don't care about a rusty bolt. I'm trying to fry some eggs right now, you know. But you know what? If the rusty bolt means something to you, you matter to me, so I care about it. You see where we're going with this? And what's interesting is that Paul closes his letter with rusty bolts and can't choose between green or brown. He, he closes with this little trivial stuff that we think, what? what? I don't know if he did it intentionally, but whether he did or not, I'm going to give him credit for it. I think he's onto something here. If we can get the rusty bolts and the greens and the browns right, then we can get the big stuff right. If we can, if we can learn to listen to each other and feel with each other and empathize with each other, especially somebody we live with 24-7, somebody who, you know, we could get away with just kind of taking them for granted. But no, we're listening. We're all in because it matters to them. If we can get that little stuff right, then we can get the bigger stuff right. It's just kind of the way human nature goes, you know? And as silly as it seems to close a letter the way he does, it's really not silly. It's really quite profound. So when we go from this place, we will have those crucial, crucial big encounters with people where we say, okay, this conversation really matters. Those will be few and far between. They'll happen, but there'll be few and but there'll be a lot of green and brown issues. There'll be a lot of rusty bolt issues. And that's where we can apply the grace. That's where we can explore what does grace look like here. And when we find out what it looks like there, then we can see how it looks like in the bigger stuff. Thank you, Paul. And I think that we need to go home and read the book of Galatians one more time and pick this up. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Paul. I have to admit that it, there have been times when I've come tolerated this guy because I didn't really understand him. But thank you that we can, we can give him a chance in his context to teach us some things we need to know. And our, our prayer today is that in all the trivia and minutia of life, as we move from this place this morning, that we will look for fresh ways to explore and share grace with each other. See what it looks like in the clumsy places, in the awkward places, in the little teeny tiny microscopic places. Help us to find grace. That's where we want to live. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.